Amen. This is the day the Lord has made. Ian and I are not rejoicing in the day only, we're rejoicing in the Lord. We've had such a good time conveying truth to you concerning the fivefold ministry. Now we want to wrap it up in the sense that we're going to make spiritual application. In other words, it's good to have the knowledge of the word, but how do you and I apply it? How do we make it relevant to us for our day and age that the body of Christ might be blessed? So we're going to make spiritual application. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for that which has been taught concerning fivefold ministry. Now we need to make application that the church might grow thereby, and God even prayed that the five spiritual gifts are part of, uh, of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher might be uh, functioning in the church. We know even as Ian just spoke to me, he says, there are just apostles today and the rest are elders. And I said to Ian, Lord, and you heard me, is that these elders really speaking in Acts chapter 15 and even Acts chapter 20, these are the prophets, the evangelists and the pastors and teachers of the early days. And elders, oh God, are not just old men. They're young men. They are the five, they're part of the fivefold ministry. So Father, let the church awaken to the truth. That no one must see elders as just elders, but they must see them as the presbyters, the presbytery of the church, the fivefold ministry of the church. Because what's happening in these days, oh God, these elders are not given recognition as members of the fivefold ministry. I thank you for the question that, that Ian had, had asked me, God, and therefore clarity has come. So bless us and cause the church to know God, even as we teach this thing, we're not pointing a finger. We are extending a hand to lift the church up, that the church might see all five of the ascended gifts operative in our day and age, that we truly might be conformed to the image of God's Son. Amen. Praise God. Now we're going to finalize our teaching on the fivefold ascended gift ministry by making spiritual application. Application number one. Though the allegorical method of preaching is frowned upon by so many in the body of Christ, and I am one of them, may I say, as students and theologians, we should always bear in mind what the Apostle Paul wrote to his son in the Lord. He said, All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And the purpose being thereof, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 to 17. However, though that be true, the seasoned student and theologian have the understanding that the allegorical method like typology is not always conducive for the formulating of doctrine. And when the allegorical and typological methods of preaching and teaching are employed, the preacher, the teacher, the apostle, the pastor, evangelist, should inform the congregation that the preaching and teaching is subject to judgment. You must understand that allegorical preaching is but an interpretation. Alright? Now, application number two. Though there are major distinctions between the foundational and modern day apostles, the body of Christ should realize that their mandates are one and the same. Both are sent forth into the world to herald the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Matthew 28, verse 19 to 20, and to fulfill their purposes as defined in Ephesians 4, 12, 16. Amen. Then, number three, the ministry of modern-day apostles and prophets are vital to the well-being of the body of Christ for the simple fact that they have a special grace to illuminate the Word of God. Let me just briefly explain. Revelation came via the foundational apostles. The anointing that modern-day apostles and prophets receive is not revelation. Rather, it can be voiced like this, revelation upon revelation, which amounts to illumination. There's nothing new. Amen? All what they ought to teach and preach is to be based from the Word of God. But no doubt, no doubt, they will illuminate the Word in such a way that understanding is quickened by the illumination that they give. But we've got to make the distinction between revelation and illumination. I trust you are pleased with that and you understand it. Then another application. It is God's will that all local churches and denominations in the body of Christ realize that it has always been the intention of Jesus Christ for His church to be apostolic. God had no other vision but that the church be apostolic. Local churches and denominations that adhere to the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 to 20, are truly apostolic. Now, maybe I'm jumping the gun, but this teaching is prevalent in the church and sad to say, it doesn't bring uh, attention to the giver, but rather brings attention to the gift. There's a teaching that for a church to be truly apostolic, it must have a resident apostle in the house. Now, as far as I'm concerned, if that's their belief, let them believe it. But I don't believe it. I believe that the church for, for a church to be apostolic, it must fulfill the Great Commission. And that is to go into the world. They've got to send out people. They've got to support missionaries. And let me say this. It doesn't mean if there's... Uh, there's not an apostolic ministry resident in the church. That I mean a, a, a man or a woman. You must realize this. There's always the, 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 the chief apostle in the church. There's always an apostle. The Bible says where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst. Jesus is the chief apostle. Whether people believe or not or accept apostolic ministry, the apostle is there. Amen. He's in the midst of his church, local and worldwide. He's in a local church and he's in the body of Christ. We cannot bring attention to ourselves. We, as the gifts of God, cannot say churches are apostolic because we say we are apostolic. We don't make a church apostolic. It's Christ that makes the church apostolic. We've got to come to the conclusion that we highlight the Christ and not our giftings. I thank Pastor Gray, who was an apostle. He said, don't glory in the gift, glory in the giver. It's vital. Let me go on. Another spiritual application. The highest authority in the body of Christ is Jesus Christ. And he governs his church through, through the word of God. Jesus has set in order the governance of the body of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians 12. 
These governors should govern local churches and denominations according to the revealed word of God. The constitutions of local, independent, and denominational should be based on the revealed word of God. Principles of governance embedded in the word of God should be the hallmark of that which constitutes the body of Christ as local, independent, and denominational churches. Now, I'm going to say a few things that might offend some men of God, and it's not my intention. Amen? It's not my intention. And I don't want to hurt people, but I've got to speak what I feel is the truth. No doubt what I say is subject to your judgment. You can either accept it or refute it. But I will say, do give me a hearing. Don't switch off this video. Now, the highest authority in the church, who or what is the highest authority? First and foremost, who founded the church? Jesus Christ is the founder of the church and therefore he is the head of the church. Amen. So now you tell me, you tell me, my dear brother and sister in the Lord, if Christ is the head and founder of the church, who should then govern the church? It's none other than Jesus. Now, although fivefold ministry are governors, these are governors set for in the church as gifts to the church by Christ to govern the church. But now their governance is totally dependent upon the understanding of the word of God. So the highest authority in the church is not fivefold ministry. It is the word of God. I've got to reiterate, it's vital. The highest authority in the, uh, in the church, the body of Christ, whether it's a local church or a denominational church, is not fivefold ministry. The highest power in the church is the word of God. Our, uh, that which constitutes our church and the way we function is not apostolic, prophetical, pastoral, blah, blah, ministries. It is the word of God. Now, let, let's go back. Let's go back and, and help to, to define what I'm saying, to explain, to bring clarity to what I'm saying. Let's go back and we see how the church progressed. Amen. I will just deal with two aspects of governance in the church. Just two aspects, right? And both, as, uh, both aspects uh, 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 is overextended, they elongated. And what governed our church years gone by, and even I, I, I fell under that, that, that method of governance, was the democratic uh, principles of governance, right? And years later, the theocratic uh, 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 principle took over. So we had, we acquainted with, in our day and age, with democracy and we are committed with theocracy. And democracy simply means the people have a right. In other words, the people have a right to rule. They are, have a right to make decisions. Whereas theocracy, it's the teaching that the man of God, he sets the church for. He, he, he in, the, in the sense, uh, uh, is the man of God that represents God. And he sets the church totally in order. Now, let me say this. Both areas have weaknesses. Both areas have weaknesses. Democracy is weak. Ah, oh, come on. And theocracy is weak. Amen. Democracy speaks of the man. And theocracy is supposed to speak of God. But in essence, it doesn't really speak of God. It speaks of a one-man band. And what has happened in the church these days, there was a, 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 an exodus from the principles of democracy to the one-man theocratic style of government. And you know what? The very accusation... 
that the theocratic style of government had against the demo democracy style of government, then none the better. They got even worse. Because the church was, was governed in a sense by number. Now the church is governed by one man. And what does the Bible say? There's wisdom in the counsel of many. Two are better than one. And the threefold cord is not quickly broken. Now what I'm saying, if there is weaknesses in democracy and there is weakness in theocracy, how ought we to govern the church? Simple. We ought to govern the church by Jesus Christ. Now, let me say this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And you know that Word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. So in essence, Jesus is the Word. The Word of God is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the revelation of Jesus Christ as the head of the church, the Word conveys how the church ought to be governed by the Word, in essence, by Jesus Christ. Now, that was a mouthful. Can you accept it? Now, I'm going to show you how that the Word of God governs the church. I'm going to show you principles of democracy, and I'm going to show you principles of theocracy, how they are governed. Amen? And I haven't got time to go into all the scripture. Amen? When, when, when I complete the book, it will be all there. And by the way, the book will be free. No charge. We say in South Africa, Mahala. We say in Afrikaans, Pernit. That's like a skink. This is a present. <laughs> oh, crazy. My wife, my wife uh, uh, rebuked me the other day because she says I make too much jokes when I preach. But never mind, she's right. Now, let me show you the principles of democracy. How that they hinder the church. How that they hinder the church. And if you listen carefully, you will find the folly of it. Let me go back to the Old Testament. Not that the Old Testament is governed by, uh, not that the New Testament is governed by the Old Testament, but there are examples we can use. Remember the spies. How many spies were there, Ian? Twelve. Twelve spies, all right. And the spies came back. Um, and, and the purpose of them being sent by Moses was to spy the land. And they came back, ten of them with a bad report, and two with a good report. Joshua and Caleb, uh, Caleb had the good report. But the other ten said, no, we're not able to possess the land. Hey, they got giants. The guys are big and strong. And we like little ants in their excitement. Hey, they will over and they will finish us. No, no, no. We cannot go. We cannot go. And what did, what, what, what did Joshua and Caleb say? Hey, you must check the grapes, man. Hey, we've got puny grapes here. they got big grapes. Hey, you must check the avocado, peas, and the apples, and the bananas. Hey, big stuff, man. Hey, we can live nicely there. And you know what? Those giants are nothing to us, man, because God is on our side. God promised the, promises us the land, and he keeps his promise. I'm paraphrasing, right? So what did they do? What did they do? Here you've got the ten speaking against, you've got the two speaking for. What happened? They influenced that ten, that negative ten, influenced the nation that the nation was afraid to go. Now, Use your mind now. You, use your, your reasoning. In essence, what governed them? It was the principle of democracy. The ten outvoted the two, and the crowds, the throng, was influenced by the ten. So what ruled that day? Democracy. And what was the result of the democracy, Brother Ian? What was the result? They wanted 40 years in the desert. One year for every day. 40 days. They were there. Not so? So you see the principle of democracy. It might sound good, brother, but it's never ever right. It's never ever right. Now, that was the Old Testament example. Now let's go to the New Testament, right? Now, a 
this is a, this is one of the worst I've ever seen. Um, there was a time that in the early church that there was, sad to say, ill feeling amongst the, 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 the newly saved people. They were what is known as the Juju, the Juju Christian. And there was the Hellenistic Jews, the Greeks and all that type of things, right? Now, there seemed to have been favoritism because what, what was happening in the early church as the move of God swept, as the move of the Spirit swept through Jerusalem and all that, people got saved. And when they got saved and started witnessing about Jesus, those that worked for, for Jewish bosses, they got retrenched. <laughs> don't, come, don't you come here with a new religion. You get out of here. They were fired. And things were made difficult. And even in that time, there was a famine, famine or so throughout the land. So what happened was this. Uh, the apostles and the rich amongst them helped the poor. They gave to the poor. But then the Hellenistic Christians, Jewish Christians, felt that they were neglected. And that they were. There was partiality as such. So they complained to the apostles. So the apostles said, look at you guys. Okay, we can, we can set this thing in order. But don't expect us not to be in charge over this. For the simple reason, our work is to preach the word and to wait upon God. We're going to give ourselves to prayer and the word. Now notice the divine order there. First pray, then the word. Not the word, then pray. Amen? Now, they said, okay, you guys, we give you all the right here. Give you all the right to, to, to vote in seven, seven, seven men full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, etc., etc. And then we will appoint them. Right. So they got the democratic right. All right. They got the democratic right to vote in seven deacons. And one of them was Stephen and Philip and Niger. And I just forgot the names. Uh, I forgot the names of the others. But what I want to show you here is this. Although, although the people had a democratic right to vote in the deacons who would serve and look after the needs of the people, the material needs, that democratic vote was controlled by a theocratic right. And the, the, democracy, the principle of democracy was with the people, but the theocratic right was with the apostles. So what they said, okay, you guys, we'll give you the right vote, 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 vote. pick your seven. But listen carefully, that seven must be full of the Holy Ghost, of honest report, uh, I don't know what's, I just forgot the other one. I think it was three or four. But you go to Acts chapter, what's it? Six, yes. You go there. And I think there were three or four conditions laid down. Honest report, full of the Holy Spirit, and full of wisdom, yes. So what happened was this. If someone voted, right, and who they voted in was not baptized into the Spirit, full of the Spirit, and was not of honest report, and had a bad reputation in the community, that person was not considered. They were pushed aside. Only those who met the prerequisites set by the apostles. So there, listen now, there you see, and this is very important, very important. In the Old Testament, we saw, we saw democracy overruling what the man of God said. Moses, Aaron, and her. No, yes, it was, it was no, Caleb. Moses, Joshua, and, and, and Caleb, right? But now in the New Testament, we see a theocratic principle overruling democracy, and that's how the church ought to go. Are you with me? However, though the church in some way endeavored to implement this, the church further failed. And I was in one of these churches that failed miserably, and no wonder there was always splits in the church. And by the way, it was an open door, right? 
And what they will do is this, one week the church will vote in the diaconate. And then the following week, the new deacons will get together with the pastor. And from there, from there, from there, these men, these new deacons, together with the pastor, they will vote in two or three elders. They will vote in two or three elders. Now, they thought, look, look, at, look at me Ian, I need you as, a, as, a, as an audience. They thought that they were doing the right thing now because now we are deacons and, and, and the pastor is here, he's the governor of the church. We can, we can vote in, we can vote in two elders or three deacons and they, 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 they would take a literal vote and the two with the highest vote or three with the highest vote becomes the elders of the church. So in one week, from a deacon, you become an elder. <laughs> and this was right in the church. But this is not the, 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 the principle that's embedded in the Word of God. Deacons of one week have no right to, to vote in an elder. An elder is appointed by the pastor, by the apostle, etc., etc. Because if you read the book of Titus, Paul says to, to Titus, go throughout Crete and you appoint elders in every local congregation. It is the work of a minister, not the work of a deacon. Amen. And this, this no doubt gives me the understanding that the governors of the church have to do it. But however, I hope you grasp it. This is vital. This is vital. However, let's say now, uh, Ian's a pastor of the church, right? Oh, what a mighty man of God he is. When Ian talks, it thunders and lightnings. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, when he takes up an offering, he tells the people to stand. And he says, we're going to take up an offering now for the Lord. And by the way, we don't want any noise as we give, as we give an offering. We, know, we don't want clink, clunk, clunk. We want all pa uh, paper. <laughs> we want no, no noise. Oh, I'm only joking again. Let me be serious again. All right. So Ian says, no. I, because I am the minister of this church, and I don't accept the principles of democracy because there's a new order in the church. We're not Old Testament saints, we're New Testament saints. And we do that which the Word of God teaches in the New Testament. So what I can do, I'm gonna, I've got the right to appoint the elders in the church. And that's true. He told Titus that. He told Paul, Paul Titus that. Okay, so Ian, Ian, Ian appoints Brother Joe. And Ian appoints Tom and Stephen and, uh, uh, and Uncle, Uncle Peter and all. He appoints seven. Right? Now, although Ian has the right to appoint, what is the final matter to accept Ian's appointing of these men? You go to the book of Timothy. You go to the book of Titus. And what does it say? That these men that are appointed must meet certain prerequisites. A husband or wife, not a brawler, not given to wine, etc., etc. These conditions are laid down. And where are the conditions laid down? In the Word of God. So in essence, tell me, is Ian running the church or is the Word of God running the church? Who has the final say every time? It's the Word of God. And it's not the apostles, although the apostles said they're going to be given to this, that, and the other. Who do you suppose led the apostles to say that, to lay down the prerequisites? It was the Spirit of God. Amen. So what I'm saying, the highest authority in the Word of God is not the governors of the church. They can be challenged. 
It's not democracy. It's not theocracy. It is the word of God. The word of God will always have the final say. And who is the word of God? Jesus. And who has come to take, to take the things of Christ and unveil it to you and I? It is the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. So in essence, the chairperson of the church these days, every local church, every denomination is the spirit of God. Listen to that which the Spirit of God says. We are governed by the Spirit of God. As He speaks a rima, and as that rima lines up with the Logos, we take action. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, praise God. That was a mouthful. Amen. And I hope you were blessed. Now, another spiritual application. Of the fivefold ministries, what is the most important ministry needed for the hour? Did I deal with that yet? And therefore we... Let me read again, just in case I, I did or did not. Of the fivefold ministries, the most important is the ministry needed for the hour. Not so. And therefore, there will always be the different ministries coming to the fore at various periods of time. A wise fivefold ministry team will give the full support to the particular ministry at its given point in time. When fivefold ministry works as a united team, local, independent, and denominational churches benefit greatly. Now, I, I, I said it earlier on, if the church is not growing, it doesn't need the ministry of a teacher. It needs the ministry of an evangelist. And then the ministry of the evangelist should come in and for perhaps months evangelize in that church. And once the church starts growing again, then of course the teacher will come in, or the apostle, to, 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 to sort of grind them and build them up in apostolic doctrine. If the church needs direction, the church is wandering, floundering, who, who, who should come to the floor? The prophet. Then he should teach the church or preach in the church for a couple of months, setting the church in the direction that the Spirit of God wants the local church or denomination to go. Amen. Now, another spiritual application. Each five-fold ascended gift has a special grace that is unique. Just as the fingers of the human hand all have different functions, though, though there are different graces and functions, what is of the paramount importance is that each different grace and function complements the graces and functions of the other gift to complete each gift. Amen? Then another application. Every local independent and denominational church as a resident apostle, and that being Jesus Christ. Jesus has himself confirmed this. For where there are two or three gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Now why I say that is for this simple reason. And it's, it's, it's a doctrine that is sweeping the church by apostles. And I want to say this. Sadly, and I'm not doing it as pointing the finger, I'm, I'm, it's just a statement of fact. Today there are too many apostles and there are no Indians. Every second man of God is an apostle these days. Some have, some have not even left the shores of their, of, of their own church. Now I'm not saying that you, 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 you're not called as an apostle. But remember, Paul had, uh, uh, um, what's his name? Ananias knew that God had chosen Paul as an apostle, but he never announced it. You never called Paul because number one, he was in the Senate gift. But it takes in the Senate gift to release the Senate gift. Years later, years later, Paul was released as an apostle from the Antioch church. Right? Now, let me say this. 
for the church to be apostolic, it doesn't need a human apostle resident in its church. Amen? It doesn't need a resident human apostle in the church. Where two or three are, there's Jesus. Jesus is our chief apostle. Jesus is the apostle sent by the Father. He's in the church where we are at. There is Jesus. And I say this with all true sincerity. And, 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 and I'm not trying in any way to talk us Pentecostal and charismatic people down. But do you know some churches who don't accept uh, uh, Pentecostalism and speaking in tongues and all that? They are more apostolic than we are. In the sense, they support missions. They send out missionaries. And for a church to be apostolic, it is a sending church. It's not based on a, on a minister. It's based on, uh, on Matthew 28, 19, 20, going to all the world. It's a sent church. And half of these apostolic churches in our day and age are sitting in one corner and having a good time. He's looking badly at me. <laughs> It might sound harsh, but it's the truth, brethren. To be apostolic is having that, 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 that oomph to go out in your neighborhood, to go out in your province, to go out in your land, and then to go to the world. Amen? And if you can't go to the world because you can't find, then you send them your money into the world. Support other ministries. Another spiritual application. Jesus warns his church of false apostles. Know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them, found them liars. Revelation 2 2. With every resurgence of truth, there will always be an attack on the forces of darkness. Ephesians 6. Many in our day are claiming to be apostles, and we have to try them as the word of God encourages us to do. True apostles will always unite the body of Christ. In fact, it is one of the hallmarks of the unique ministry. Too many men who call themselves apostles break down independent local and denominational churches to start their own churches and their own denominations. Yea, listen to the word. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel. Paul said, Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel. Not that Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. Genuine apostles are men of God of great integrity and ministerial ethics. Every endeavor of theirs is always to build and never to break. They don't break a denomination or a church to start another church. It doesn't work that way. And I know too many apostles and some recognize and revered that they left their churches with three quarters of their church, of their previous church, to start a new movement. God doesn't work that way. Let me tell you, God doesn't work that way. When you feel you are called of God and you're not recognized in your own church, you wait upon God and you move and you move by yourself and you prove your calling. Hallelujah. Another Spiritual truth. God ordained apostles and prophets like Jesus and Paul will always have a care, a core of men. Let me reiterate that. God ordained apostles and prophets like Jesus and Paul will always have a core of men. 
young and old from the local church and denominations who will accompany them on their apostolic endeavors. These men will receive on-hand training of how to minister cross-culturally. Another unique, unique mark of, of apostolic and prophetic ministry is the reproducing of their own kind. Apostolic ministry reproduces apostolic ministry. Prophetical ministry reproduces prophetical ministry and so on. I've I, I noticed over the years. You know how does fivefold ministry function these days? They don't function, function from a local church. They, 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 they work with other churches from other countries, prophets and apostles and teaching all get together and they form an apostolic band. They never develop through the grace of God and the learning of the Holy Spirit to form by God's grace an apostolic team that goes out as a unit from a local church. Come on, let me give you scripture. Where was Paul, Paul and, 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 and who was a Barnabas sent from? They were sent from a local church. They never, they never initially get uh, uh, Silas uh, uh, from Jerusalem to go. They first worked with their own people from local churches. It's not wrong to unite with other men of God, but you've got to put your local church first. You've got to raise up men. You mustn't be dependent upon the other gifts. You must depend upon the gifts that God has used to, to raise up. You've got to give birth. You've got to reproduce. Hallelujah. Oh, praise him. Another spiritual truth. Apostolic and prophetical ministry will set local, independent, and denominational churches in order by appointing elders, which simply means pastors, teachers, evangelists. Amen. Now, 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 now let me say this. Acts 14, 23, Titus 1, verse 5. That says, Acts 20, 28, Take heed unto the flock to the elders, of the witches, the Holy Ghost, and maybe overseers. These were pastors. These were teachers. Hmm? These were evangelists. And if you go to Acts 13 in the first general council, who were they? Elders and apostles. This wasn't just old men. It's men who had the gift of the Spirit. Men that were, 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 were ascended gifts. Now, another spiritual truth. Modern day apostles cannot ignore the signs that authenticate their ministries. Some may debate the fact that the signs of, of apostolic ministry embedded in the Word of God relate to the foundation apostles and not modern day apostles. Now, be it that the purpose of both sets of apostles have the same purpose, it stands to reason that our apostles are men of God of great integrity and ministerial ethics. Every endeavor of theirs is to build and never to break. Oh, now I must admit. I'm wrong. Sorry. Let me read that again. I went to the wrong page. My mistake, Ian's fault. <laughs> okay. Modern day apostles cannot ignore the signs that authenticate their ministries. Some may debate the fact that the signs of apostolic ministry embedded in the word of God relate to the foundational apostles and not modern day apostles. Be it that the purposes of both sets of apostles have the same purpose, it stands to reason that in fulfilling these purposes, that both face the same opposition. Paul, the southern apostle, makes special mention of his sufferings. Are they Hebrews? I also. Are they Israelites? I also. Are they the seed of Abraham? I also. Are they the minister of Christ? I speak as beside myself. I am more. 
I've been in labors more abundantly, in stripes above measure, in prisons more, in deaths many times. Five times from the Jews I received, forty stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I've spent a night and a day in the deep. I've been in travels often. In dangers from waters, in dangers from robbers, in dangers from my own race, in dangers from the heathen, in dangers in the city, in dangers in the wilderness, in dangers on the sea, in dangers amongst false brothers. I have been in hardships and toil, often in watchings, in hunger and thirst, often in passings, in cold and nakedness. Besides these things, outside conspiring against me daily. The care of all the churches who is weak, and I am who is weak, and I am not weak. Who is caused to stumble, and I do not burn. If it is right to boast, I will boast. I will boast of the things of my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever. Hallelujah. Knows that I do not lie in the mess. Do not lie. In Damascus, the governors under Eretus, the king, guarded the city of Damascus, desiring to lay hold of me, and I was let down. In a basket through a window to the wall and escape their hands. Oh boy, one of the signs of apostolic ministry is suffering. It's suffering. It's suffering. And if ever there was an apostle that suffered, it was Jesus, the chief apostle. If ever there were apostles that suffered, it was the foundation of apostles. If ever there was an apostle that suffered, it was Paul. I read so many of his sufferings to you. Let's look at the modern day church. Look at the apostles. They got airplanes. They got mansions. Millions in the bank. And it's not wrong for a man of God to prosper. It's not wrong for a man of God to prosper. But their ministry has become their business. Their trust is not in the Lord. The Bible does say, charge them who reach amongst you to minister unto you that the work of God may go forth. But you know what they're doing? We preach evangelically to the unsaved and we're asking the unsaved to finance the church. No, it's the church that finances the world. We got all upside down, inside out, all around about. God bless you, man of God. But don't live an extravagant life. Men of God have that which Jesus had and the early apostles had. They have the ability to suffer for the sake of the gospel. We've got to understand that apostolic ministry is always associated with suffering. Read the word of God. Read, the, read, a, read, read about the early church. It was always associated with suffering. I'm not saying we're going to suffer to the extent that they suffered, but we cannot deny the fact that suffering is associated with apostolic ministry. Even this, even this, Christ was taught obedience through suffering. It staggers me, but it's the truth. We've got to suffer, brother. Not that we want to, but if we suffer, let's suffer with dignity, knowing full well we might endure for a season, but praise God, Joy cometh in the morning. Amen. Another spiritual application. Modern day apostles should follow the examples of the apostles Peter and Paul and the rest. 
Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but willingly, but of a ready mind. Did I not commit sin in humbling myself, that you might be exalted because I preached, because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And in everything I kept myself from being burdensome to you. So I will keep myself. Modern day apostles should trust God to meet their needs. It is so sad that how many men of God constantly, constantly beg for money. And this is not a sign of apostolic ministry. I hope I haven't made bad friends. But it's the truth. Another spiritual application. Modern day apostles like the foundational apostles should be firm in discipline and sound in grace. It is actually reported there. Let me give you the example. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And such sexual immorality as is not even named amongst the Gentiles. That a man has his father's wife. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from you. For I told, for indeed as absent in body but present in spirit have already judged as though I were present. Him who has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you are gathered together, along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. But if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent, not to be too severe. This punishment which was appeared by the majority is sufficient for such a man. So that on the contrary, you might ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest that such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. What happened? He was to be reprimanded and set uh, 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 out of the church. But if he repents, call him back. It is common in our day to see saints of God who have caused havoc and mayhem in their local churches, except in other churches. No investigation is carried out just why they had left their church. Often we are excited that our local church is growing and yet failing to understand that these saints of God who leave churches carry a spirit of rebellion on them and in due season what harm and chaos they had caused in their previous local church well, they will bring it to the new local church and often with greater despair and heartache. Apostolic ministry safeguards the body of Christ Whenever people have caused despair and heartache, endeavor to join other churches, the wise apostle will always contact the previous leadership, or the wise pastor rather, and be it that those who have left there under discipline, and, they, and that they cannot be reconciled to the former church, to the former church, leadership, the wise men of God should show respect by continuing the discipline in the, within the, with these troublemakers and that in the newfound church. 
In the likely case of reconciliation, the new leadership should show forth the grace of God and accept them with open arms. Apostolic ministry in our day, fivefold ministry, should be firm in disciple, in discipline and gracious in forgiveness and acceptance. We end this fivefold ministry as such that we preached on and taught on, and I trust it be a blessing to you. Share it with your church, share it with the brethren. Let it be an encouragement to you. God bless you and keep you, and we'll be back by the grace of God next week, continuing our series, What is in Your Hand? What we will be touching on is um, how that the temple of God, the tabernacle, which is you and I, how we relate to the healing of physical maladies, physical sickness. How that we, although God wants to use us, can be a hindrance to people's healing. We don't fully comprehend who we are and what we are in Christ. We don't understand how we relate as the temple and tabernacle of God. We lay hands, and I've done it, and instead of people getting better, they're getting more sick. And we ought to know why. What is stopping healing from coming forth from your hands and my hands? And we're going to study the tabernacle to see how that, once again, healing can be prominent in the church of Christ as we live out our life as the true tabernacle and temple of God, that when we lay hands, healing and miracles will take place. God bless you. Amen. Blessed be the name of the Lord.